Welcome to the Physician Story, a podcast started by Golat Surgeons. Through interviews with doctors, our mission is to empower and inspire the next generation of female healthcare leaders. Today, we are interviewing Dr. Laura, who is a hematology oncology fellow at Indiana University. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining today. I am Laura Vodder. I am a internal medicine board certified physician now in my first of three years of hematology oncology fellowship. So I'm a cancer doctor. Um, I'm really thrilled to be here with you. So thank you for inviting me. What does a day in your life look like? So I finished my internal medicine residency last July And now I've finished essentially the first full year of my fellowship of three. And so my days, this is true for anyone in medical training. So month to month, what what you do on your rotations is going to change, even as a fellow. So now I am on the inpatient oncology service at our hospital. So I wake up in the morning and I typically, I wake up usually around 5 a.m. And I'm not, um, I don't have to be at the hospital that early, but that's, I have a five-year-old daughter. I had my daughter when I was a fourth year medical student. So that's my time in the morning. So I exercise in the morning. I'm also a writer. I'm very interested in narrative medicine. So that's my time to write. That's my time to um, have to myself to exercise. And then I'm usually to work by about seven o'clock in the morning. And then we as physicians, what we do for about the first hour of our day is we pre-round on our patients. So we're looking at the electronic medical record. We're looking at the labs, the vital signs, uh, events that might've happened for our patients overnight. We're looking at the medicines that they're on and we're just trying to catch up from the, the time that we left the day prior. And then we essentially, sometimes we see our patients before rounds, but often we go together as a team. So my pharmacist, my resident, my medical student, my nurse, and then my attending physician, and I'm the fellow. And then we go around and see our patients in groups. Uh, we talk to our patients, we check in with them, we see how they're feeling. We try to make their day better. We see what symptoms we can help control. And then we have So as a cancer physician, uh, one of the gifts, the true privileges of the work that I get to do is I get to help people navigate this very difficult part of their lives, this, you know, often very vulnerable and challenging aspect of dealing with a cancer diagnosis. And we're helping, trying our best to help their families and our patients feel supported through that. So we see our patients, we check in with them, and then we kind of go from each patient's room. Uh, It's called rounds, as many of you know. And then after rounds are finished, we write our notes for the day. We check in with the other consulting teams. We communicate. Uh, we see new patients often in the afternoon, and uh, typically our day is pretty pretty full of patient care. Uh, but as a fellow, my hours are much better than when I was a resident, and so I typically can leave the hospital around four or five o'clock by the time all my work is done. And then I'm off to go home, and I spend that time with my family again. My daughter is uh, almost five years old, and uh, with my husband, and we uh, spend that time in the evening together, and that's usually a pretty typical day. If I'm on call, it's a little bit different, but that's a typical day when I'm not on call. So what made you choose medicine and why do you want to be a doctor? I think, and of course I'm very biased because this is the field that I've chosen, but I I think that medicine is an incredible field because I get to not only um, work with patients every day, I also get to be doing emerging research, right? And that's one of the things that draws me to the world of oncology is that there's always new developments in the field of cancer. And I have the availability, you know, to be 
involved in those clinical trials and to help patients who are um, dealing with cancer. And so there's the science that comes right with um, the patient care. For me personally, I, when I was growing up, I had a very close friend, a volleyball coach named Kim. She was diagnosed with stage four metastatic colon cancer when she was 44 years old. So very young. And I was interested in a career, a professional career, I thought was thinking about medicine. So I was, as I know some of you here, so you're a sophomore and a senior, right? So I was in high school, I was uh, interested in medicine. And this uh, friend who was dealing with this diagnosis, she wanted me to come in. So I actually got to observe her surgery with the surgeons. It was my first time in the operating room. I was, uh, got to go to her chemotherapy appointments with her and see the infusion. I got to see how the oncologist interacted with her, how, how that person really helped guide her through this really challenging time. And I was with her when she died a few years later, it was such a uh, foundational experience for me. So meaningful in those very, um, formative years of my life. And then it was just a number of things that continued to confirm that that was the right thing for me. I really enjoy the practice of clinical medicine. Um, Clinical medicine has some hassles to it, right? That we, that we're all aware of. Uh, But I truly believe that that connection that I have with my patients and the ability to develop relationships over time and help guide them through really difficult challenges in their life is truly a gift. I think it is it is a very challenging profession, especially when it comes to kind of the rigors of medical school and residency. Uh, but to me, it is highly meaningful and I would do it again. I really love taking care of patients. So what advice do you have for high schoolers that want to pursue medicine? I would say that you will encounter people along your path that will say, oh, you don't have what it takes oh, you're not smart enough, you're not strong enough to do procedures, Uh, you don't have what it takes. I would say just don't listen to them. If you want to become a physician, if you want to be a professional and a leader in any field, know that that is possible for you and just keep going. Keep going and don't be deterred by people around you who say you are not capable. Don't be deterred if you... So I will, I just want to pause and say it is a normal response to when you experience something traumatic, or if you're in an operating room and you're seeing lots of gore and you're seeing things you don't normally see. I know almost every single one of my friends has had a visceral reaction of passing out in the operating room or doing procedures. And every single one of them has gone on to become a surgeon, to become a physician, to be able to do those things. So I have many friends who are in other fields that have said, no, I can't be a doctor because, oh, I passed out one time when I saw blood. Do not let that deter you. I have passed out before. People have said, oh, you're not cut out for medicine. That is absolutely not true. Uh, If there are people that say, oh, you can't handle the hours. How will you ever have a family? How will you be supportive for your husband? I would say, marry someone who will support you, who cares about your success as much as his or her own success, because that is going to be the marker in my mind of a true partner. And that's why I chose to marry someone who he really believes in my success in my career more than his own. And he has, so he does most of the, the, the school drop-offs and pickups. He does most of the help around the house and he is so supportive of my career. And I know that for many of you, that's still very far off in the future. Um, but I think it's something that we all think about and, and um, marrying someone who truly supports you 
as your interests evolve over time, because who you are today is going to be different than who you are 10 years from now. So find, find the friends and the partner and the people in your life who support you. That is going to be highly, highly valuable to your success. That was really good advice. Thank you for that. So how was medical school like for you? And what was the workload like in the medical school that you were in? So in the United States, they are changing a lot of the curriculum. When I was a medical student, we had an exam every three days. We were in block scheduling. So we took one single course at a time. So we started out taking eight weeks of anatomy. And then we did you know, four weeks of physiology and so on and on with different science courses. And we had an exam every three days and very few weekends off. I think it was about 21 credit hours and it was extremely rigorous. I think most of us, we performed very, very well in our board exams because of it, but we also, uh, it was challenging for, for many of us. I think that um, many schools have now decided that they are going to shift a bit how they do curriculum. Um, there's no doubt that when you're in medical school, you're going to be taking classes like biochemistry, anatomy, physiology, histology, embryology, immunology, right? These core science classes that are important. Um, learning how to study, uh, hopefully before you get to medical school, knowing how you best study is going to be highly important. Um, for most people, um, doing a lot of practice questions is going to help them perform well on exams. So just practicing and being willing to look at each question on the exam and say, okay, if I get this question wrong, then this is an opportunity to learn, right? This is failure that's going to make me better and make me stronger. And this is not a weakness if I get a question wrong. This is something that is teaching me. And I'm actually grateful for each question that I get wrong. And I think going into medical school, acknowledging that it's very rigorous and very demanding, but also taking care of yourself along the way, getting enough sleep, exercising, eating well, making sure you're connecting with your loved ones. It's absolutely possible. I wouldn't be deterred if people say, oh no, this is too hard. This is too much to study. Know that you are smart and you are, if you're perseverant, that you will do it and you can succeed in it. Even if people around you tell you that that's not possible. So speaking of medical school, what did you add to your application and how did you boost your resume? Mm -hmm. So I decided I was very interested in public health before I went into medical school. I was very, it was, I was trying to decide between getting a PhD in public health and epidemiology and going to medical school. And for a period of time, I actually considered doing both of them. So before I went into medical school, I decided to, um, because I was very interested in global health as well, I, I spent a year doing global health work. So I, I taught at a school in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and then I uh, worked in the community there. So I worked at a local hospital, and I also uh, um, worked in the community, and it was right, it was during, uh, there was an earthquake there, and then there was a cholera outbreak. So I was able to work with the community uh, and do some public health initiatives. And then I did two years of a master's in public health. And I think both of those opportunities, they, they were part of they're part of my core interests that I, I wanted to explore, but there's no doubt that they both in, improved and increased my competitiveness to get into medical school. 
um, because, you know, having another degree, another advanced degree can help make you more competitive for medical school, as well as doing volunteer and service work. Those are both key things that can be helpful. And when I was in my master's program, I found a research mentor who is a physician, and I really was looking for a job, and I found a research job. And this this person that I met became a mentor, and we have worked together now for almost eight years doing multiple research studies. And so when I came into medical school, I had um, volunteer experience, I had a master's degree, but I had a number of publications and things that I was already working on. And I think all of those things really helped strengthen my application for medical school. So if you are trying to get into medical school, you're trying to match to a competitive residency or a competitive fellowship. So hematology oncology is a very competitive specialty, right? Research is going to be important at every step of the process. And so knowing if you have some research experience, that's going to be a valuable asset for you. So that doesn't have to be uh, working in a lab under a hood, doing bench science research. It can be if you really like that, and that's totally fine. But also know that there are many other types of research. There's health services research, there's public health research, there's health communication research, there is, you know, things that we already talked, so public health research, there are things like health policy research, epidemiology. Um, these things can also be valuable research experiences that you can actually be working in programs at, in public health centers and uh, working directly interacting with people. And that was something I didn't really know about when I was going through my undergraduate program. I always really, I was a, a biology major and I had a poverty studies minor. And I thought, oh, if you're going to do research, it's just going to be bench science research. But that's really not true. And all types of research are valuable when you're applying for medical school, residency, fellowship, and then beyond when you're looking to get a job. Uh, and so think about if there's an advanced degree that you might be interested in, if there's, if you can take a year or two and just do um, some volunteer experience, I think that can be an incredible life experience. It can be uh, a gift to a community and to yourself. And you can learn a lot about yourself in the process and um, any research you can be involved in can, can help as well. So how do you prepare for and thrive in medical school? I would say preparing for medical school. This is something that, you know, I think you are, if you are, if you've gotten into medical school, you are a smart person. You are already highly resilient. You have, you know how to study, you know how to take tests. I would say uh, the most important thing to thrive in medical school is to take care of yourself. I decided this was a terrible idea, by the way, but I decided my first year of medical school that I didn't have time to get enough sleep anymore. Some of my uh, classmates were staying up till midnight and waking up at 5am to study. And so I decided to, you know, study more and sleep less. That was a terrible idea. I decided I didn't have time to exercise anymore. I wasn't eating as well. I decided I didn't have time to call my family. Right. And all of this led to having uh, anxiety, right? So this increased my level of anxiety, which you do any one of those things that can increase your anxiety. But if you do all of those things, right, and then you are thrown into um, a medical school type of uh, environment where you're taking a lot of credit hours, that can be really challenging. So I would advise you to take care of yourself, take care of your health today, because it's going to be good for, it's not going to make you just feel good today, but it's also going to help you live for decades so that when you have this professional career, it's going to help you to have longevity in this field. And the other thing too, is that it's going to make you a better learner. 
So if you're getting enough sleep, that helps, you know, take your memories from that short-term center of the hippocampus to the prefrontal cortex. So it's actually filing away your memories. When you sleep, it actually gets rid of things you don't need. Like, you know, you know, you need to know where you parked your car today, but you don't need to know where you parked your car 300 days ago. That's part of the function of sleep. So sleeping is actually going to help make you a better learner. The same is true with exercise. We know that exercise increases a growth factor in your brain that actually helps you be a better learner. So know that when you're taking care of your health, it's actually gonna make you a better learner uh, versus thinking you don't have time to do that. And then just remain connected to the reason why you're going into this. So whatever type of professional you decide to be, right? you have the ability to do anything that you want to do and go into any field that you want. Um, just know that you belong there as much as anyone else. And then also remain connected to why you want to be there. Because sometimes when the days are long and you're doing a lot of studying, you can sometimes forget the reason you go into it. So try to remember that. Keep that at the front. When you start to get discouraged or burned out, try to remind yourself of that. And then keep yourself connected to the things you love and to the people you love. And that will really help as well. What is your field exactly about so I'm in the field of hematology and oncology. So this is uh, the practice, the clinical practice of cancer medicine. So we see patients that have all sorts of cancer. And what I'm most interested in is what we call solid tumors. So these are things like breast cancer, lung cancer, um, colon cancer, pancreatic cancer, uh, often cancers of the organs. I also take care of patients that have blood cancers and cancers of, of the lymphatic system, like lymphoma and leukemia. And, and as, a, as a fellow, I'm learning about all of the um, diseases of the blood. So things like sickle cell disease and uh, hemophilia and all sorts of coagulation problems. These two fields really go together very closely. Uh, and of course, when you have a patient that has a new diagnosis of cancer, right? Well, we know that all fields of medicine deal with serious illness. Often um, our patients, so when in this field, we have a lot of patients who are experiencing illness for the first time, they're experiencing high levels of distress. We have a lot of really hard conversations in my field. I almost on a daily basis, I have to deliver bad news, bad news that someone has a new type of cancer or that their cancer has progressed, that they have a blood clot associated with their cancer, right? Or they have a complication of their cancer. So a lot of what I do is deliver bad news, but also part of what I do is help support people and support families and say, you know, you have a diagnosis of cancer and this is how we're going to support you during this time. Uh, and I think it's one of the uh, cancer medicine is one of the best funded fields in terms of research because there's a lot of cancer funding. It's also a highly, highly valuable field because a lot of people want to practice in hematology oncology because um, the work hours are better. Um, you have high satisfaction in your job. You have close relationships with your patients. And it's, um, there's so much emerging science in this field that there's really a lot that we can do for our patients. So I think that you should highly consider this as a very meaningful field. It will definitely, um, it's definitely has its challenges because our patients are so sick, but I think that this is um, a really meaningful career. From what I've heard up till now, I'm probably going to consider this career in the future, but do you face any challenges or setbacks as a woman in this field? Hmm. 
I have had a very positive experience so far as a woman. I was pregnant when I was a third year medical student. My husband and I wanted to have a child before residency. And because I had taken some time off between college and medical school, I decided that I wanted to have a child at that time. And a number of mentors had told me that having a child your last year of medical school is actually a really great window of time because I had three months of vacation and then I had five more months where I could be at home with my daughter doing remote learning. And so I had eight months at home with my daughter when I was um, a medical student. Uh, But I do think that um, women who are pregnant can face discrimination. I did have one experience where there was a a surgeon, uh, a chief surgeon, uh, who was a resident himself, who it wasn't that he was mean to me, but it was more that he just ignored me. Like I would, I was very visibly pregnant during this rotation. And I would, I would know the answers to questions and he wouldn't, I would have to have my hand raised and he wouldn't call on me. Uh, I would have less opportunities in the operating room. And I don't know if he, th- if he thought he was doing me a favor, right. But I, I speak about this quite a bit because I really feel that, you know, women who are pregnant, right. We are still, if medical students who are pregnant are still future doctors. So we need to train them. We need to inspire them, we need to encourage them, uh, and to change our mind about about what their worth and what their values are. So just because I had a child, and I love my child, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to practice medicine, right, and that I'm not an equal doctor, and that I'm not going to practice medicine full time when I'm done with my training. And so um, I have had friends that have had um, similar experiences. I've had friends who have had um, around childbearing have had uh, mentors say that they have to choose between their program or their spouse or have to choose between the program and their child. I would say that that's very, very rare that for the most part, um, women are very supported and um, that it is, um, in fact, we have a lot of data that the outcomes from female doctors are actually better than the outcomes for male doctors. And so I think most of my patients, nearly all of my patients highly respect my opinion as a physician and appreciate the effort that I take with them to communicate things clearly and to help, help them feel supported. I've not had a patient say, I don't want a female doctor. In fact, my patients, I think really value having a female doctor. Um, and I think that that continues to be the case here in the United States, and I hope around the world as well. So changing gears a little here. Um, in 2007, Dr. Laura, you developed a tool to help patients and clinicians simplify and prioritize health, which is known as a SMILE skill. This tool is currently being used in schools and clinics in the U.S. and the U.K., Could you tell us more about the SMILE scale? What inspired you to create it and what's it about? So the SMILE scale is a simple tool to help promote our health. It's a daily check-in tool because in my clinical experience and my my training in public health, I learned a lot about health communication and what patients don't need is more complex tools or more information. There's so much information out there telling patients about what they have to do to be healthy, that they, if they could only buy this supplement or do this one thing that they're going to be healthy. 
And so I really came to this from uh, a, a perspective of a public health physician looking at prevention and health communication. And so the SMILE scale uh, is a tool that you check in with, with, your, with yourself every day. So each letter of the word SMILE stands for one healthy habit. Um, so S is sleep enough. Am I getting at least seven to nine hours of sleep at night? Uh, we know that sleep promotes your health, that there's not an organ that doesn't benefit from sleep or an organ that doesn't uh, isn't harmed by not getting enough, and especially your brain and especially your cardiovascular system. So we know sleep is essential for your health. Uh, the next one is M, move my body. So I ask myself or my patients, you know, am I being physically active for at least 30 minutes a day? And we know that physical activity is important for all aspects of our health, our bones, our muscles, our brain health, our cardiovascular system. We know that um, if, you, if you are exercising, it reduces your risk of cancer. So uh, the next one is inhale and exhale. So the I, inhale and exhale. Am I, am I finding healthy ways to reduce my stress? We all have stress, right? You're, you have stress today. I have stress today. Our patients have stress. But how do we manage that stress? And as much as possible, are we finding healthy ways to reduce that stress? Um, for many people, that might be something like deep breathing, meditation, journaling, uh, walking in nature, but finding something each day that's going to help reduce your stress and, and trying to find other things to reduce your stress in a healthy way and sticking and, and staying away from things like tobacco use and alcohol, because those are ways that people often cope with stress that can have really bad implications for their health. The next letter is L, love and connect. This gets to really your social relationships. This is really thinking, thinking about, have I meaningfully connected with another person today? And ideally, this is with one of the one, two or three people who are closest in your life. And we know that social connection, that Harvard has studied this, the Harvard study of adult development, that social connection is really important for your health. And people who feel um, uh, lonely. So not living alone per se, because someone can live by themselves and not feel lonely, but someone who feels lonely or that subjective perception of, of being alone, that turns out to be really bad for their health. So finding ways that for my patients who do experience loneliness to connect them back to the community. And then the last one is eat to nourish. So am I eating uh, food that nourishes my body, things like fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, legumes, things that are going to really nourish my body. And this also comes back to cancer, right? So about a third of the cancers in the United States could be prevented just by eating a healthy diet alone, eating more plants, because plants have things called antioxidants and phytonutrients that really help repair DNA damage. They slow the growth of cancer. They improve your immune system. So the smile scale is just that sleep, move my body, inhale, exhale, love and connect and eat to nourish. It's um, a score from zero to five every day. So people that use this tool, they check in with themselves, they give themselves a score and maybe a zero and maybe a five. And then they just choose one area to try to start to improve their health. And I recommend that if you're listening to this and you're thinking about an area you can improve that you start with sleep. Because if you're sleeping enough at night and you get the benefits of sleeping, then you're going to have the energy and motivation to do something else. Maybe you start a, a, a five minute meditation practice every day. Maybe you go for a walk in the evenings. Maybe you uh, add more fruits and vegetables into your diet. But if you start with sleep, then many other things will follow. 
So that's the SMILE scale. And we here at my university are doing a randomized trial using the SMILE scale in patients with cancer to look at a number of cancer-related outcomes. So those are some of the things in the works. The SMILE scale seems really beneficial and I'm glad that it has been employed. So we're gonna end off with one very last question. Um, what would you suggest doing to someone who wants to be a cancer doctor in the future? What would I suggest to someone that wants to be a cancer doctor? I just want to make sure I heard you correctly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I would say that it's a long path, uh, but it's worth it. It is 10 years of training after college. I'm in that ninth out of my 10th year. So I'm getting very close. Um, know that it's not just at the end that matters, but it's everything in between. There's so many patients you're going to get to interact with during those 10 years. There's so many friends that you're going to make, so many experiences with human beings that will be so meaningful in your life and so valuable that it's going to make all of that work worth it. And I, it's, a, it's a highly meaningful career. It is, um, you have the opportunity to be a true leader in your community uh, and if you desire, you can, you can choose a further area of specialization to focus on one type of cancer, and then you can truly be a leader in the world on that type of cancer. And many of my mentors are leaders. I have a, a mentor who's a leader in lung cancer, a leader in breast cancer, a leader in sarcoma. And so it's an opportunity that you can combine if you wish uh, the clinical practice of medicine, as well as the research component. And I encourage you to consider it as a field. It is a very long course of study, but again, uh, there's a lot of, there are a lot of um, very meaningful and joyful moments along the way of getting to see people improve from their disease and getting to walk with them every step of the way. Um, so I'd like to say thank you again for um, taking the time to speak on the podcast. It was really, really helpful getting to hear your experiences being an oncologist. And yeah, thank you again. This was really great. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. This work you're doing on this podcast is so important. And I just want to encourage the, the future leaders of the world that might be listening to this, that we need you we need you to keep going. We need you to uh, fight those obstacles and barriers that you are fighting. And we need, we need more women leaders in this world. So I am so excited uh, for, for both of you to see where your careers will end up. If anyone has questions or wants to talk more about uh, oncology, you can find me on social media. Um, you can, I'm most active on Instagram at doc, D-O-C, Laura Vodder, V as in Victor, A-T-E-R. Uh, Doc Laura Vodder. I also have a website that's lauravodder.com and you can reach me through that as well. Uh, I just want to say a huge thank you for inviting me and you can reach out to me at any time.